This is the Hasidic Story Project with Barack Holman, podcasting from Jerusalem, Israel. This podcast is sponsored by listeners just like you. To become a supporter of this podcast, please go to HasidicStory.com. H-A-S-I-D-I-C Story.com. You'll never know. You'll never know. You'll never know. You'll never know. Shalom Aleichem, my sweetest friends. As is the custom, I'm dedicating this episode to the continued success of our soldiers, wherever they are, the returning of the hostages, whole, healthy, and complete, the refuash of everybody who's been injured or is sick, and the comforting of the families of those who lost loved ones, and to the memory of the incredible soldiers who literally sacrificed their lives for me to be sitting here recording this podcast in Jerusalem. I have two stories for you this week. The first is about a young man whose name was Baruch, and he was a student at Talmud of the Chafetz Chaim, of course one of the great rabbis, who passed away in 1933 and lived in Radin. The Chafetz Chaim is known for his book on Shmirat al-Ashon, on watching your speech and the Shonara, and not speaking slander or lies about another person. And he was known as one of the greatest tzaddikim of his time, and possibly of all time. So this young man, Baruch, he was one of the top, top students of the Chafetz Chaim. And he had been in the Chafetz Chaim's yeshiva most of his life. Now he was 18 years old. And it reached the point where Baruch's parents felt it was time for him to leave the yeshiva and to get married. And on his way back, before he left, he went to the Chafetz Chaim's house to say goodbye and to get a blessing before going off into the world. And the Chafetz Chaim said to him, what are your plans? He said, well, I hope to continue learning and get married, and Bezat Hashem have a family. And the Chafetz Chaim said, very good, very good. Then the Chafetz Chaim gave him a very serious look, and he says, Baruch, I need you to make me a promise. Baruch says, of course, Rabbi, anything you ask for, what can I do for you? He said, Baruch, this is very serious. This could be a matter of life and death for you and your family. And Baruch says, yes, of course. What is it? And the Chafetz Chaim says, please promise me that you will never mechalel Shabbos. You will never break the Holy Shabbat. Now Baruch, he'd never broken Shabbos in his entire life. He didn't understand why the Chafetz Chaim would be telling him something like this. He thought to himself, maybe the Chafetz Chaim saw me doing something? That by mistake it was breaking Shabbos? He didn't know whether to laugh or to cry? So of course the Chafetz Chaim was waiting there for an answer. And Baruch said, I promise, Rabbi. I will never desecrate Shabbat. I will never be Mechalel Shabbos. But the Chavetz Chaim had a very serious look on his face, and he reached out his hand to Baruch, and he says, Baruch, it's not enough. I want you to hold my hand and guarantee to me that you will never, under any circumstances, Mechalel Shabbos. Baruch truly did not understand what was going on here. Why would the Rebbe ever think that he would Mechalel Shabbos? Before, he didn't know if he should laugh or cry. Now he wanted to cry. But he took the Rebbe's hand, the Chafetz Chaim's hand, and he made the promise to never break Shabbat. And instead of leaving joyous and uplifted after being in the presence of his teacher and his rabbi, he felt very depressed on his way back home. And he came back home and learned in Kolel for a little bit. And he was introduced to a young woman, his name was Rachel. And the two of them got married, and Rachel worked a bit, and Baruch worked a little bit, and studied in the Kolel. And they started having children, one, two, three, four, 
Baruch Hashem, Kainahara. And Baruch worked a few hours a day in the local grocery. And then the rest of the day, he would work learning Torah in the Kolel. And Rachel worked a little bit. And somehow they were able to make ends meet. But then World War I broke out in 1914. And after several years of the war, Baruch and Rachel decided to leave everything and move to America. They heard that you could make a fortune in America, that life was easier there and safer there. So they had saved up money to buy tickets, to take a boat for them and their family. And they left everything behind, saying goodbye to the rest of their family, not knowing if they would ever see them again. They got on the boat and came to America. It wasn't long before they realized that when people said that the streets were paved with gold, it wasn't what they expected, especially for somebody like Baruch, who was Shomer Torah and Mitzvot, who was a religious Jew, because in America, everyone worked on Shabbos. They moved to New York, they lived in a Jewish community, and Baruch was able to get a job in the textile industry, working for a very low wage in a sweatshop. And he longed for the days when he could sit and learn Torah, like the old days in Europe. But now he just had to bring home food for his family. He was literally putting bread on the table. Baruch was a hard worker. He showed up to work early every morning, and he left late at night. And he was reliable and honest, and people liked him. And slowly, he started working his way up in the company. He became in charge of other workers, and then he became a manager. And things were looking up for Baruch. But then in 1929, the Great Depression began in America and eventually all around the world. And the little bit of money that he was making was cut in half. But at least he told his wife, Baruch Hashem, we might not have much, but we have something. And then unfortunately, one day, Baruch shows up to work. And his boss, one of the owners of the factory, says he wanted to see Baruch. And they'd always been on good terms. Baruch was one of the lower-level managers, but he was a manager. And the boss said to Baruch, the company was not doing well because of the depression, and they wouldn't be able to raise people's salaries. But in order to not cut them any further, they were going to have to ask everyone to work seven days a week. And the boss told Baruch, I know you're a religious Jew, and you don't work on your Sabbath, but we won't have a choice. If you want to continue working here, you're going to have to work seven days a week like everyone else. And the boss said, you know, because I respect you, Baruch, and you're a good worker, and you're a good man, I wanted you to be one of the first to know. So Baruch finished working that day and went back home to his wife Rachel and to his children. And he told her that he's going to have to quit his job because there's no way that he's going to work on Shabbos. And he already knew that there were many people that didn't have work at all. And to find another job while insisting on working on Shabbos was nearly impossible. There were some people that took jobs on Sunday, but by the next Sunday when they showed up, they were fired because they didn't want to work on Shabbos. And I know this story from my rabbi, a blessed memory, Shalom Brat, would talk about his father, who also refused to work on Shabbos and was fired week after week. It's true Mesirut Nefesh, my friends. It's true self-sacrifice for the mitzvah of doing Shabbos. So Baruch looked for work every day, and they didn't have very much money saved up. Their small meals became smaller meals, and unfortunately, many nights, they and their children went to sleep without food. Baruch went on interviews day after day, and he was offered all kinds of work. But the moment that he said he had to take off for Shabbos, they told him, don't come back. 
And this went on for several weeks, and they had literally run out of food. They saw their children were suffering, and they decided that this was a case of pikuach nefesh, of preserving human life. And you are allowed to work on Shabbos for pikuach nefesh, for saving a life. And since their lives were literally at risk because they had no food, the next morning, Baruch got on a train to go find a job where he would work on Shabbos. And as he's on the train, he has a vision of his rabbi's face, the Chafetz Chaim, and the Chafetz Chaim reaching his hand out and saying to him, Baruch, promise me, make me a guarantee that you will never, under any circumstances, be Mechalel Shabbos, break the Holy Shabbat. Baruch, he burst into tears, and his hands were shaking. Here he was, ready to work on Shabbos. He got off the train at the next stop and went back home. And through his tears, he reminded his wife of the promise that he had made to the Chafetz Chaim so many years before. And Rachel, she also started to cry. She said, we never should have come to America. Look at how hard it is for us here and how our children are suffering. And they're sitting at the table trying to figure out what are they going to do? Because they literally have no money and no food. And then there's a knock at the door. Bauch opens the door. And who does he see standing there? None other than his old boss. And he says, Baruch, could I please come in? And they invite him in. And the old boss says to Baruch, I owe you an apology. And Baruch says, for what? You were very kind to me always. It's not your fault that you need everyone to work seven days a week. And his old boss said, no, Baruch, you don't understand. I own the factory with a partner. And my partner, John, he doesn't like Jews. And he definitely doesn't like religious Jews. And he told me that the most important thing for a Jew is money. And that if I put a little pressure on the Jews that were working for me, they would easily throw out their holy Sabbath in order to make money. Now, I disagreed with them, and we made a bet with money. We actually bet to see if somebody would give up their Shabbos for money. And John told me to pick one of the workers, and I chose you. Now, it's true that we did ask everyone to work seven days a week. But John wanted to know, if we fired you, would you come back and be willing to work on Shabbos? And now it's been many weeks since you were fired, and you have not come back to work on Shabbos. And so, I won the bet, which means, Baruch, you won the bet. You didn't give in to the pressure and agreed to work on your Sabbath. And then his boss took out an envelope from his briefcase and handed it over to Baruch. It had a thousand dollars in it. He said, Baruch, this is the bet that I won from my business partner, John, because of you keeping your holy Sabbath. And so I want you to have the money. And not only that, Baruch, I'm going to make you the general manager of the entire factory, and you will not have to work on your holy day. They shook hands, and Baruch's old boss, who was now his new boss, left the house as he and Rachel cried tears of joy, and at the same time were a little shocked at how close they had come to being willing to give up on Shabbos. And Baruch knew this was all because of the holy vision of his rabbi, the great tzaddik, the Chafetz Chaim, all those years before, when he told Baruch, you have to keep Shabbos. It's literally a matter of life and death. Because Baruch kept the Shabbos, because Baruch had faith in his Rebbe, the Shabbos kept Baruch.
and you can see, my sweetest friends, it wasn't an easy test. I don't envy Baruch and Rachel. When you run out of everything, you don't know where your help is going to come. Where is my help going to come from? Help will come from Hashem. The one who creates the heavens and the earth. And I hope for any of you, my sweetest friends, that are holding out, not sure how things are going to work out for you. Just don't give up, my friends. Salvation is coming. My good Shabbos, good Shabbos, good Shabbos. I have one more story for you. This is about the Reb Yosef, who was a very wealthy Jewish forester. That meant that he bought forests and would cut down the trees, have them processed, and sell them. And back in the old days, that was a way of making a lot of money, also possibly losing a lot of money. But Yosef was very blessed. Just like his namesake, he was successful in all that he did. And he was very kind and generous. He understood the great blessings that Hashem had given him. And any time any poor person came and asked for money, Yosef gave generously. Not only that, he gave them work. He was happy to hire them in his forests or for accounting or for whatever job was needed. And over the years, Yosef gave more tzedakah and became wealthier and wealthier. And one day there was a group of Jews that came from a nearby village. And they said, Yosef, there's an orphan bride and groom that are about to get married. And since they're both orphaned, they have no parents to help them. They're getting married on Chanukah. Would you please help us to pay for the expenses of the wedding? And Yosef says, okay, how much money do you need? They said a thousand rubles would be more than enough. And Yosef went to his desk and took out a thousand rubles and handed it to the group. He handed it to the blacksmith. And all of the villagers that were there together with the blacksmith were really surprised because they didn't expect Yosef to give all of the money. But he said, no problem. I love giving money for weddings. Few things make me happier. And he said, after the wedding, bring the couple here and I'll give them some more money to help them start their lives. And everyone was very grateful to Yosef. And as they left, Yosef said, remember, invite me to the wedding. I want to be there under the chuppah. They said, yes, of course. And several weeks later, Yosef had to travel on business to Germany. He had to collect payment from a number of customers. He expected to be away for at least three weeks. And realizing that Hanukkah was coming, he told his family that he would only come on the second night of Hanukkah, or a few days later. And then he went off on his trip. And Baruch Hashem, Yosef was very successful in Germany. Not only did he collect all of the money he owed, he signed new clients and collected even more money from them. And he had over 40,000 rubles with him in cash. He was able to collect everything much faster than he expected. And he was very happy that he would be able to be home in time to light the first light of Hanukkah. And Yosef purchased a ticket. And of course, the first class seating on the train. And he entered the car and there was nobody there. And he laid down and closed his eyes and fell asleep. And all of a sudden, he hears those voices whispering next to him. 
He opens his eyes, and who does he see? Two men sitting directly across from him, looking at him in a way that made him feel very uncomfortable. And then Yosef said to himself, These guys are not in first class. They're here to rob me. So he jumped up with his bag and ran from one car to the next until he found a car that was filled with people. He looked for an empty place and sat down. He realized that if he hadn't escaped when he did, those thieves might have stolen all of his money. It's true the car was filled with peasants and farmers and simple people, but Yosef felt very safe around them. And the train is traveling along. And it's dark outside and everyone's already sleeping. But Yosef would not let himself sleep. Suddenly, in the doorway of the car, he sees the two strangers standing there. So Yosef opens his bag, where he always kept a gun, and he made sure the thieves could see that he had a gun, and they quickly disappeared. And now Yosef knew that they were thieves. The rest of the trip, Yosef wouldn't allow himself to sleep. He said to Hillam, and he asked Hashem to please protect him, promising to give even more tzedakah when he gets back home. And when Yosef got off the train, he went over to a policeman and gave him a few rubles and said, please escort me home. And when finally he arrives at home and locks the front door, ah, he breathed a sigh of relief. But there was one problem, no one was home. Because his family thought he was going to be away for the first night of Hanukkah. He said, what a pity. But at least I light the Hanukkah myself at home. And he prepares the oil and the wicks. And he lights the Hanukkah and places it in the window. He puts his 40,000 rubles in his safe and locks the safe. And then he watches the beautiful lights burning on the first night. And the house is quiet because, of course, no one was there. And eventually, Yosef took out a safer and started learning. But then he heard a sound splintering of wood. And Yosef jumped up. And who does he see bursting through the front door? The two thieves from the train. But this time, they came with their own guns. They pointed them at Yosef and they said, open up the safe. They forced him to empty everything out of the safe. And then they tied him up and gagged him with a heavy rope, threw him on the ground. And Yosef knew this was his end. He said to Hashem, please, Hashem, save me. All I wanted to do was help my fellow Jews, Hashem, please. And suddenly, he hears voices and music coming from outside the house. The music is getting closer and louder. The thieves look at one another. and They realize there's a huge crowd coming towards the house. They look for a place to escape, but it was too late. Outside was an enormous crowd, and they were shouting, Reb Yosef, open up! We've come to bring you to the wedding of the orphan couple. And the villagers see the front door is broken. They walk in. They see Reb Yosef laying on the floor tied up. And then they see the thieves. And they all start beating the thieves and held them until the police arrived. And the blacksmith, he says to Yosef, You know, we came here to bring you to the wedding. Because you said, make sure you invite me to the wedding. But we never imagined to see you with thieves. And Yosef said, and you have no idea, my friends, you saved my life. Because if you hadn't come, chas v'shalom, who knows what would have happened. And the blacksmith said to Yosef, you know, you give so generously. You're such a good person. It's for sure in the merit of you helping these orphaned bride and groom that not only did you save their wedding, but their wedding has just come to save you. And as Yosef walked to the wedding, with the crowd playing the music, he danced and thanked Hashem 
for all the miracles that had been done for him in the past and also right now. Thank you so much for listening, my sweetest friends. Thank you to all the supporters, the monthly supporters, the yearly supporters, the one-time supporters for all the contributions. If you'd like to make a contribution, my sweetest friends, you can find a link in the description or on my website, HasidicStory.com. And thank you to all the listeners. Thank you for listening and for sharing and for telling, for being part of this community. And until next week, my sweetest friends, I hope you have an easy fast on the 10th of Tevet on Friday. And me too. Have a good Shabbos. And we'll share some more stories again next week. Zaygazun, my friends. Take care.